Hey guys, Josh here. Just wanted to jump on and say this is not a new episode of Think Digital Futures. We're currently having supporter drive here at 2SER and we're trying to raise some funds to keep ourselves on air. If you'd like to help out, you can go to support.2SER.com. We're going to be back again next week, but until then, here's one of our favorite episodes from this year. This is Think Digital Futures. I'm Josh Nicholas. I got rid of all my albums thinking that it was an obsolete medium never to be seen again. So I never thought LPs and analogue medium would come back, but it has. So this is Stephen, and as you can hear, he loves analogue music. You know, this stuff. But over the past couple of decades, we've seen a huge shift in the way we listen to music. It's all gone digital. First came CDs, now Spotify has like 39 million subscribers, and Apple Music has about 15 million more. And that's not counting all the people who just download stuff. And so people like Steven made a shift. They ditched their records and tapes and bought iPods. But recently, analog has made a resurgence. Sales of vinyl records hit a 28-year high this year, and that's like the fourth year in a row that we've set a new record. But why is this happening? What's so good about analog? I prefer the analog medium to digital. It's a much fuller sound with analog. It isn't it isn't as exacting as digital, but it does give the instruments a fuller sound than the digital. But Stephen doesn't just listen to analog music. He's been a musician for like 40 years. He even played with ACDC back in the day. And Stephen prefers to record an analog. When his band gets together, it's a guitar, bass, drums, piano, all going into what's essentially a tape recorder. With the drums, for instance, um, you get a much, a much, well, I can only describe it as a warmer, a fuller sound on the tom-toms and the snare when you're using analog gear. It just sounds better. It's more harmonious to your being, if you want to get really esoteric about it, when you listen to an analog recording. It's just, I find this whole thing intriguing that... Stephen is talking to producer Jake Morecambe. When it comes to this debate of analog versus digital, it's not just the end product, the the recording, the sounds that you favour. It's the process in between as well, the utilisation of more analog standardised equipment. It, it, do you think it's using that equipment and then what the product is at the end, that that whole process is what you're attached to? I'd say that's a pretty good... Um, summation of it, yeah. Um, with analog gear, when you're listening back to it in the studio, it's it's a much more encompassing medium using analog recording equipment. Um, it is being phased out because it isn't as exacting as I said at digital. But a couple of the CDs, the last two CDs I did, were recorded on the computer, 
But then when the person was mixing it down, he used all analog gear to mix it down for us. Mm. So we sort of got the best of both worlds. Um, how, ex how is that different from, I guess, mixing it down on a computer program? With analog gear, um, when you're actually mixing the recording, you're using the faders. You can bring the microphone levels up and down as you're playing. With analog gear, you have more hands-on in the mixing process than you do with digital. Because digital, you mainly set the volume level that the particular instrument is, and you leave that for the whole song. And um, with analog, you tend to be mixing it as you're mastering it. So analog is a more involved process. So there's a trade-off here. There's more than just the effort involved. Steven is getting a warmer sound, but he's missing some of the magic that you can work with digital production. Um, we had a client that we did an album with after she broke up with like a long-term partner. Um, and we had to record this cello over and over again because she wanted it until like she was literally crying from hearing the sound of it. Um, and that took ages. Like it took positioning in the mix. It took just like distorting the sound in certain areas, pushing the sound so that it swells. Um, but th th we got it there and you hear it and you do like, it's just the saddest sounding cello. This is Toby. He's a music producer. He and Jake caught up in Toby's studio here in Sydney. So she was playing her cello in here. Oh, like in our live room. So there's another room in our studio, which we kick them out of this main room, and then they play in the other room. We can hear it all in here. And so she was playing that, and then you got a number of different recordings, and then you just mixed it, mixed it, mixed it, until you got that like really visceral, sad sound that she was after. Yeah, yeah. I think it was like four cellos in one, all combined, and then we did this thing called bussing, where you shovel the sound through another track, so to speak, and then squished it all together by compressing it. And then we put some weird effect on it, um, not like trying to maintain the cello sound, but at the same time, it just like kind of hurt you to listen to because it was so sad sounding. Like it sounded like on a rainy day in a field and you're crying all day long and it just hurts. <laughs> this is the song they're talking about. I just find it so interesting in that like, it opens up this whole world to be able to play with sounds that you're n you've never really, like with just analog equipment, you mm -hmm. haven't been able to do. So there you have an analog piece of equipment, yeah. essentially, the cello. Well, it was a cello, uh, like a real microphone recording a cello going into a digital interface and then digitally changing the sound. If, if you were like, if you didn't have this digital setup and you were still working with this client and she's like, I want my cello to sound like a weeping infant, um, would you have been able to do that if you didn't have the digital equipment to make it sound like that? Um, I mean, we'd probably have to put her in an empty swimming pool and play with like the most battered cello bow that we could find and then record it from two stories away or something, yeah. <laughs> When I started looking at this story and talking to people who buy records, 
I was expecting to hear the arguments we just heard from Stephen and Toby. You know, on the one hand, the way vinyls sound, that they're warmer and make instruments shine. And on the other side, you have the convenience of digital. You don't need to go rent a pool and a crane to create a sad cello. You can fit all of your music in your pocket. But it didn't turn out like that. Instead, the stories people told were a lot like this. Uh, This happened to me just at the weekend. A a very old dear friend of mine just posted a photograph of himself and his young daughter on a beach in Wales. And I remembered and I commented that um, I went there once on holidays as a kid back in 1980 and I bought the first Public Image Limited album from the record store in this town, met a bunch of punk rockers who had motorcycles and they didn't believe I was 14 and took me off to a gig with them. And, and I still own that Public Image Limited album. You know, my, my memory struggles from time to time, but somehow when it comes to remembering these kind of details, I have absolute clarity. This is Mark Ward. He makes a music show on 2SER called Sideways Through Sound. But more than that, Mark has a huge record collection. He's been collecting for years. When I first got into music as a consumer and as a fan as well, you know, I mean, I heard something and I went, wow, that's really great. And kind of the next logical step was going to the record store. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just record stores that sold records back then either. I mean, I'm going back into, you know, the late 70s. So, you know, there was lots of places you could get records from, but it was very much about ownership. It was very much about, I like this song and I want to hear it a lot. And it was before the internet. And the only way you could do that was by owning it. So, um, yeah, and I was, you know, saving up pocket money and seven inches were affordable. But it was also a matter of, you know, once I got into that world and how exciting it was, it was very much about, I kind of know what I like and I sort of know what I'm looking for. So I'm maybe occasionally going to take a chance on something just because of the picture sleeve. Yeah. No one wants an ordinary sleeve. Everyone wants a picture <laughs> sleeve. So it's very much about having the thing, you know, having the product. Mark's story is mirrored by almost everyone I talk to about records. People kept bringing up the physicality of vinyl. Unlike newer digital music, Vinyl isn't trapped behind a screen or digitally locked. You can hold a record in your hand. It's something you can inherit, that you can keep on your shelf or pass around with your friends in a party. And because of this, owning and playing vinyl is wrapped up in memories. Everyone I talked to started regaling me with stories about their friends or their family. There was always records around. So for us, it was all about having records on at home, have the radio on, but Dad would have records on and put it on for us. And the big challenge... This is Liz Jeffrey. She's a lecturer in communications at UTS. And that was an achievement. Like, that was just the ultimate. So since then, and, you know, um, some kids, when they're little, go with their dads to, you know, go and see sport. We went to the second-hand record store on a Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon, and looked through stuff and, you know, enjoyed it and, you know, pulled it apart. Never really understood why you'd buy things full price you know so we've always had that kind of relationship then when I got enough money to have my own device which was a Walkman initially that I I started without a tape 
Then I got one with a tape, but it was a knockoff one, so it would kind of work and kind of not. And then you'd be sitting there in front of Rage on a Saturday morning recording music so that you could have your own music. And, you know, if you were lucky, you'd get a clean copy without your sister coming in and going, oh, God, I love this song. So, you know, <laughs> which is what you'd kind of have to put up with too. But it was cool. It didn't matter because it was yours and in your own little world. And then finally, when I got my own bedroom when I was 12, I say, you know, I saved, pulled, whatever, you know, birthday money, whatever, and bought my own little tape deck. And that was it. That was me. I could control it. I could just, you know, it was the best. It was so, so good. Well, I love the fact you've been talking for like four and a half minutes now and you've only mentioned one actual song. So far, <laughs> all of it, it's been about your dad and your mum and yeah. your sister and sitting in for like, it's, it's all these experiences and relationships that the music is almost secondary to that. Yeah, look, in some ways, I mean, of course... <clears throat> songs are important and you know we also had there was live music around in our house too so mm. my mum and my nana were singers and we'd be you know that's my background too I hated it because I used to get teased for it but you know so live music was around a lot too but I guess yeah. in terms of the actual getting to control it that was that was kind of the stuff but you know I still I bought Ice Ice Baby on Cassingle <laughs> I bought Do the Bartman on Cassingle with my very own money and I was thrilled by it Kylie Minogue's first album with the big hair that was mine. That was just mine, you know. So, yeah. you know, there's, the, of course, there's memories to particular things as well. Something I found particularly fascinating about the physicality of vinyl is that they can have a story and a life all of their own. Walking through a secondhand vinyl store, you're moving through a collection of stories. Who owned this? Why did they buy it? Why did they let it go? I've got a real love for really daggy and quite beaten up records. And partly that's because I want to I'm so curious to know who had this before me. Yeah. Like so I've got <laughs> I've got a I've got a George Michael album. It's Faith, right? And whoever had it before me must have loved the fast ones and hated the slow ones because the fast ones are all worn down to the point where they jump, but the slow ones, crystal. Crystal. And I'm just fascinated. I want to know who was this person and, you know, what kind of happened and why, and then what, why did they give George up at the end, you know? <laughs> Which is totally not, that's the opposite experience to someone who sits down with a beautiful stylus and, you know, gets that crystal clear communing sound. So Mark and Liz don't only listen to vinyl. They have stacks of music on their phones and MP3 players like the rest of us. Vinyl isn't a replacement for streaming and MP3s. It works alongside them. For people like Mark, listening to vinyl is an event. Somehow having, you know, a, a sizable piece of cardboard on your knees with a nice big picture on it and you know I'm a bit of a nerd I like to know where stuff was recorded and who played saxophone and blah 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 you know I like that stuff and I think if you you know yeah you could sit there on your you know on your tablet and find that information out why they're listening to it digitally but somehow it feels like more of a complete package if you pull the disc out of a sleeve and put it on a turntable and walk across the room and sit down with it on your knee it, it's yeah it's a it's a very um, it, it's a it's an experience certainly there's nothing to me just picking up my phone and playing a song anymore. It's it's not special mm. in any way. Mm. But I can imagine like the whole process. It's like cooking. So you could go buy something or you could make it yourself. 
Is, is it like that? It, it, it absolutely is, Josh. That's a really good analogy. There's a connection to having a physical product. And I also appreciate that there's a, there's a generation of people now who who don't have that connection and maybe that connection will never be important to them. That saddens me a little bit, I must say, because, you know, I grew up with it. That's how I engage with music. It's having a thing. Mm. Um, and yes, it is an event. Um, you know, I still read the lyrics to the lyric sheet, although I do need to wear glasses now. Um, you know, putting a record on, I mean, my stereo is pretty good and um you know it does sound better than if i'm playing an mp3 from my phone but yes i like to sit down with a new record um and a glass of wine and and absorb it and uh, you know for me it's like watching a movie or watching a you know an episode of your favorite season it's a thing that i sit down and do it's it's not in the background Talking to all of these vinyl lovers hearing their stories about discovering records in obscure shops made me realize that one of the biggest changes over the past few decades has been how we discover music. Nowadays, when you're using iTunes or Spotify, you're getting recommendations from an algorithm. It's a machine. But the world of records is completely different. So I think this is the really interesting thing that I'm starting to think about now, is the discovery mechanism. Yeah. So when you're on Spotify, you know, you've got Spotify, Discover Weekly, yeah, there's yeah, yeah. all these recommendations. But when you go to a, a physical shop... Yeah. How are you discovering what you like? Well, see, when I was little, and I'm still, I'm only five foot one, and if you go to a record store now, they are built for men, <laughs> and they are built for tall men. So I'm forever on my tippy toes, and I can remember it so vividly. There used to be a record store down the bottom of Pitt Street called Ashwoods that was a uh, dusty old thing, and I would be in the 45s in the magazines because they were lower, and now it was shorter. So that's where I kind of started, and it also helped too that that was closer to my budget, you know, Dad had, mm. you know, if you were really good that week, you'd get $2 to spend or something, you know, and so you could file the way through it. And when you're sort of working it out initially, it's all that kind of, do I like the look of the picture on the cover? Have yeah. I heard of this person? You know, can I afford it too? You know, the, that practicality of things. And then it, you'd start to hear things in other places. So I remember when Wayne's World came out and, you know, that big bit with Bohemian Rhapsody. And I remember saying to Dad, you know, ah, oh, this song. And then we're going through and we find Bohemian Rhapsody on 45 and we get it home. And it starts at the beginning with the piano stuff. I'm like, no, nah, this isn't the right song. This is not it. This is not it. He's like, yeah, yeah, keep going. You know, so it was really cool from that point of view. You just you pick stuff up from wherever, you know. We're a long way from, you know, me as a kid going into the record store and going, oh, I wonder what's here. I wonder what I'm going to find. Or waiting for that relationship to develop with uh, the record store staff who get to know you get to know your taste and go ah you're here this just came in this just came in we yeah. only got three copies and i saved one for you because i knew you'd dig it that that to me that that's kind of what the you know that's another part of the experience really i don't really get a kick out of finding something on soundcloud mm. you know it's just whatever you know me me and a me and a million other people so what but you know relationships that they're a big part of this whole music community i feel so after all this i'm left with a bunch of questions is the revival of vinyl a sign that something has profoundly changed in the way we interact with music perhaps something that shouldn't have changed should music have remained a tangible thing
so do we lose something in this thing? Because I hadn't considered that before, yet now I'm considering going after some records. I hadn't quite realized that I'm missing a whole experience there. I don't want to say memories, but like yeah, I'm but missing an experiment. I think it's like anything. One replaces the other. So you're absolutely right. Like in one way, dad doesn't know, my dad doesn't know what it's like to be sitting on a bus and think, geez, I really feel like listening to whatever it is. Oh, here's my device. Now I can listen to it like immediate. Mm. He doesn't know that. But at the same time, my kids won't know what it's like to sit down and listen to a record and do nothing else and have to find the record and pull it out. You know what I mean? And go searching for it. The best bit was when you'd go and buy it and then you'd pull it out of the wrapper and read all that stuff on the bus on the way home. Like that stuff is the best, right? You know, or the frustration of having the tape start to die or the record get a scratch or all of those types of things when it would... Start to, or the CD would go mouldy. That format that was meant to last forever, oh, yeah. you know. Or put in the sun for too long. Absolutely, you know? yeah. So um, I just think they're different experiences, to be really honest. Um, yeah, and and you know, everybody that sort of said initially when it all went digital, people were saying, "Oh, people won't value music enough, and they'll stop listening to music." But in some ways, the flip side happened because it's so convenient. I can listen. I might not have time to go and sit down and put on a full album anymore, but I do. Who doesn't have time to have music on? while they're doing something else if the device is there, you know. You know, all of these arguments were had when radio started and, you know, way back in the 20s and people were convinced that's it, that's the end. Nobody's ever going to buy music ever again or make music for that matter. Wow. Like there was the whole piano, piano makers were freaked out saying, oh, nobody's ever going to make music because they can just turn on a box and it'll do it for them. You know, and there probably are people who, you know, don't weren't buying music the minute they owned a radio but if you want it and you love it not only will you buy it once you'll buy it seven times in every format you know so you've been listening to think digital futures stories from the digital age you can subscribe to our podcast by searching for think digital futures on itunes or your favorite podcast app This program is a collaboration between UTS and 2SER and was produced by Jake Morecambe. I'm Josh Nicholas. Talk to you next time.